So today, as I mentioned, we will be finishing the book of Jonah. I was looking at it. It's taken us just about two months to get through it. And I just want to reiterate something that I had said at the beginning. Most of us come to the book of Jonah, and when we look at this book, what we think about is a great big fish. In fact, every time I've come home since preaching through the book of Jonah from work, one of the things that Haddon, my son, will ask me is, Daddy, what'd you do at work today? And then I'll say, I worked on the sermon, Jonah and the big fish? That's the one, buddy. But it's very tempting to look at this book and think that Jonah is just a story about a great big fish. Yes, it gets attention because it is a strange, it's a very strange encounter, a true encounter, but a very strange encounter that a man was swallowed by a great fish. But in case we're tempted to think that this book is a book about a great big fish, it's not. This book It's like every book in the Bible. It's about a great God and his tender and gracious heart towards sinners, which I hope I've done a good job of showing us that this book is no different. In fact, this may be one of the primary themes that we see throughout this book. God is consistently showing his graciousness toward sinners. We've seen this a few times now with the pagan sailors, with the great and evil city Nineveh. And so we've seen that God, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, has been showing us a little bit more about his grace. But here's where we also need to be careful. this is another observation that I would like to make before we move on, is that we tend to miss and gloss over who the primary audience or who the primary person is in this book. Yes, it is about Jonah, but we come to this book and we think, well, the primary person is the Ninevites. Jonah is taking this message of grace to the Ninevites. Therefore, The Ninevites need the message of grace the most. Instead, I would like to argue a little bit this morning. Or not argue, nobody likes to argue, right? Like to try to persuade. That this is not primarily about Nineveh receiving God's grace. Instead, this book shows us of a prophet who is in God's divine class. Grace 101. It's easy to think that this book is primarily a missionary book to the evil city of Nineveh, which there are cases and that that is a big part of this book. And it's easy to maybe look and think that it's about the pagan sailors or evangelism, which it is However, if we look to see how this book starts, 
and how this book finishes, we will see that this book is a book that is primarily teaching Jonah about the grace of God. You see, God is in the business of teaching his children, and he does it through all sorts of means and methods. The Lord disciplines those whom he loves, and it is no different for Jonah here. And we must not forget that for ourselves. One example is David. When David was king, he uses his position of authority and power to force Bathsheba to sleep with him. They conceive a child together, and then David has her husband murdered. If you're familiar, you know what happens next. The prophet Nathan knows about this and goes to David with a little parable about a man, a rich man, a man who had everything that he could possibly want, goes to a weak man, a poor man who has one Sheep, that is his prized possession. And takes it. And David is furious. He wants justice to be served on this rich man. And Nathan reveals to him, you're the guy, David. And the spirit convicts and cuts David to the heart. This is what's going on today is Jonah is in God's divine class called grace. And the aim that we're going to see this morning is that God is going to call into question Jonah's heart while showing his compassion to Nineveh. In verses 1 through 4 of Jonah chapter 4, we saw this angry prayer that Jonah prayed to God, revealing the reason I didn't go to Nineveh, God, is because I knew that you are a gracious God, a merciful God, a God who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And after this prayer with God, knowing that he will relent from his disaster, Jonah goes outside of the city to wait and see. But as Jonah is waiting to see what will come of Nineveh, God is going to appoint three things to teach Jonah a lesson. And then he will finish this story with a question. We'll see God appoints the plant, he appoints the worm, he appoints the wind. And he uses all of this to help peel back the layers of Jonah's heart and misplaced compassion for Nineveh. So, we come to verse 5 and we see Jonah picking up his ball and going home. Jonah, he leaves the city of Nineveh and he goes to the east to sit and find a front row seat. A front row seat for what? 
although Jonah just had a conversation with God, saying, I knew that if Nineveh would repent, then you would turn from destroying them. He goes out of the city waiting and hoping that God would still destroy this repentant city. He does not want this city to be on the receiving end of God's compassion and grace. But as he is out there distanced enough from the city, what does he do? Jonah made a booth. What is a booth? Well, it's not the same thing as a phone booth. It's not the same thing as a booth that you would see at a fair. Booth in the Old Testament is this very rickety small shack that they would take olive branches and other leafy trees and build a very just rickety shelter. A shelter that did not do a good job of not letting the sun in or the heat in. It's kind of like a self-made tree fort by a nine-year-old. Jonah made this booth to protect himself from the elements, which we will see didn't do that great of a job, but he makes a booth because he wants to see if God is going to destroy them. Misplaced compassion, misplaced grace in a person's heart can lead them to such hate and anger towards people they disagree with or hate. And we see this right here in Jonah as he knows. He knows that the Lord will relent, but deep in his heart, he still has this hope that the Lord will destroy them. Or maybe in Jonah's pride, he's afraid to be known as a wrong prophet. Here the prophet goes into the city. He preaches a message of calling out and how God will destroy them in 40 days. And the Lord says that he will relent. Or maybe it's that our pride leads us to hate our enemies. Jonah's heart is filled with hate towards his enemies. And we see this, that even after God explains what is going to happen, he is still desiring that his enemies would perish. It's amazing how hate can grab a hold of our hearts. As I was meditating on this passage, I couldn't help but just think and contrast the difference between Abraham and Jonah here. As God goes to Abraham and tells him that he will destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, what is Abraham's first response? If there are not but 50 righteous people, will you not spare that city? What about 45? What about 40? 35? And he goes all the way down to 5. 
if there are not five righteous people, God, will you not spare that city? And we contrast that with Jonah's heart and we see a heart who is, whose heart is set on the destruction of his enemies. It's amazing how we read and we saw in chapter 2, Jonah come to this fresh encounter with God's grace. As he's thanking God for the salvation that he has been given. He's thanking God for the, the grace that he has received. Jonah is still struggling with understanding the full scope of God's grace. But in the next few verses, what we will see is the Lord is teaching his prophet this lesson in grace. And so the first way that God teaches this lesson is by appointing a plant. The Lord appoints a plant just like the Lord appointed the great fish to swallow Jonah. The Lord who has made all things in one night was able to appoint a plant to help protect Jonah from the harsh winds and sun. He appoints this plant as we read in verse 6. And he made it come over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. Even in Jonah's baby-like immature tantrum he is throwing, the Lord is still being gracious to him by appointing a plant to grow to protect him from the harshness of the sun. Jonah, it says, was in discomfort, and so the Lord appointed this plant to comfort him. And this made Jonah, as our passage tells us, exceedingly glad. Oh, how easy is it for us to receive the blessings from God. But the next few words help us understand Jonah's misplaced compassion. What does our verse say? So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. How easy is it for us not only to receive the blessings from God, but then make the blessings that God has given us our idols. We'll see that later in this passage. We take the gift and we forget the giver. But there is two other things that the Lord appoints for Jonah here. The Lord, in verse 7, appointed a worm. The worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. So the Lord gives the blessing 
And the Lord takes it away. But that's not where the Lord stops here with Jonah. The plant had withered from the appointed worm. And when the sun rose, here's our third appointment. God appointed a scorching east wind. And the sun beat down on the head of Jonah. Nothing to make you crabby quite like the hot sun. So God blesses Jonah with the plant to shade him from the sun. God appoints a worm to attack the plant to cause the plant to wither. Then God appoints a scorching east wind to beat down on Jonah's head. Why? Is this not one of the hardest things to reconcile in the Christian faith? As we are all works in progress and are being sanctified and being changed, we ask this question, why? Why does God discipline his children like this? And I, I'm not talking about just unfortunate Situations I'm talking about as we're looking at Jonah, the disobedience of a child and the Lord disciplining him. Because there are many times, here's the reason, there are many times in the Christian life that we must be taught lessons over and over. But then there are some lessons that stick to us most in affliction. And because we've been taught those lessons in affliction, they stick closer to our hearts, a little bit stronger than the normal lesson. There are some lessons that the child must be taught through discipline. And this is what is taking place with Jonah. God is setting up Jonah right here to teach him about compassion and grace. We see Jonah respond to God. Pretty much the same response in verse 3. He was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God isn't done with this prophet. God is not done with you. God asks Jonah a question. Nearly the same question in verse 4, do you do well to be angry, but this time, he's using the plant to dig a little bit deeper into Jonah's heart. God says, do you do well to be angry for the plant? Why would God 
ask that question? Let's find out. Jonah says, yes. Yes, I am angry and I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. What Jonah is saying here is is that I don't want to live anymore without this nice plant that has kept me from the scorching sun. This nice plant has kept me comfortable. This plant is the reason that I've been comfortable. Do you already see the misplaced compassion of Jonah? Like I've said earlier, every one of us is a work in progress. We're we're relapsing saints that turn back to our comforts and sins. And here, Jonah is no different from us. And God is using the plant to set up this question to get to Jonah's heart. Jonah, where is your compassion? And so God finishes this book, which I absolutely hate. Remember in fourth grade, I was part of the learning disabled group, and we would be taken off into another classroom so the teacher could read stories to us. And I got in an argument with one of my teachers because the story ended without a resolution. If I'm watching a movie or if I'm reading a book and the movie just ends abruptly and I don't know how the people end, I'm never going to watch the movie again or read the book again. I'll read this book again because it's in the Bible. But God leaves this here, these last two verses, with a question. And that's it. There's no resolution. We have no idea how Jonah responds. But we do know that this question is vitally important to each of our hearts here this morning. And the Lord said, Jonah, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Jonah, why do you pity the plant? Why do you look upon this plant with compassion? What's so important about this plant, Jonah? And then he goes on to say, should I not pity Nineveh? Jonah, should I not have compassion upon Nineveh, that great and evil city that doesn't know their right hand from their left hand? Should I not have compassion on them, Jonah? God is showing Jonah that his compassion just does not extend to Israel. God is showing my grace is not just extended to Israel, but to the Gentiles too. This was the promise that I gave to Abraham, that I would be a blessing to who? The nations. Not just to a nation, but to the nations. And we we see God's compassion unfold before our eyes, don't we? as we have the blessed privilege of having the whole scriptures. We see that God himself has so much compassion on people who do not know their left hand from their right hand or their right hand from their left hand, that what does he do? He comes down in the form of a man. He says, you are blind, you are bound to sin, and I have come to deliver you. And how does he do it? 
He does not do it by ruling over them, but by humbly serving them. He serves them in the most extraordinary way by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is the compassion that God has looked upon those who don't know their right hand from their left hand, that he sends his only begotten son into this world so that those who would believe in him would not perish. Who are the enemies of God? We can't help but say we once were the enemies of God. And yet God in his compassion relented from his disaster on that day that we put his, our faith and trust in his sacrifice, in his resurrection. But here's one of the problems. Hardly does a person know that their compassion is misplaced and directed toward things of this world like Jonah until it gets taken away. Then anger comes because everything you truly cared about was taken away. Jonah is upset at God and says that he could die because in that moment, the only thing that Jonah cared about was the plant. The plant had become an idol. And when God took the plant away, when he took Jonah's comfort away, Jonah's only other resolution was just to say, kill me now, Lord. And we may think that's silly because it's a plant. But do we not respond the same way when we lose a job and we lose all senses of our identity or maybe even better yet when our favorite sports team loses or what about when a relationship falls apart we very quickly can be consumed with our comforts and misplace where and who we should be compassionate toward. How God is wrapping up this lesson with Jonah is this. He's calling Jonah's comforts and compassion and grace into question by essentially asking him, who or what do you love more? Your own nation? Your things? Or my glory? That more people would come and worship me? Is God right now, during this crazy season of life, that we just so happened to be placed here? Is he peeling back the layers 
of your heart and questioning you. Where is your compassion going towards? Who is on the receiving end of your compassion? Is he schooling you and giving you a lesson in his grace? Look, this isn't going to be any new information for any of you. But we live in a pretty angry time, don't we? That's the truth. Wherever you look and whatever conversation is had, most of the time, it's in anger. And here's where we as the church, as the people of God, must watch out and work out our salvation with fear and trembling. It would be easy for us right now to look at Jonah and shake our heads. Jonah, how in the world could you let your anger get in the way of loving your neighbor? You're part of the people of God. In fact, you were set out to be a prophet of God. Shouldn't you know this? How could you let yourself go where you desire the destruction of those with souls and of those who bear the same image as you. I believe this passage shows us two ways. Two ways that we also need to be on guard for and look out for. The first is Jonah pitied the plant more than he pitied people with souls. Jonah pitied things of this world more than image bearers. Jonah accepted God's blessing of the plant, the comfort from the plant, so much that he then was like, okay, God, why did you take this plant away? Jonah loved the comfortableness of being able to separate himself from those who he disagreed with, from those who were his enemies, from those who would have been looked at as... I've got to watch myself here. There's lots of things going through my mind. Jonah separated himself from those who disagreed with him. Jonah was not willing to accept the fact that God's compassion and grace could be on a, an evil and wicked city because it didn't line up with what he thought God should be like. Jonah was ready to watch this city burn. And we may think we're different But how often do we go home, turn the TV on to Fox, CNN, ABC, whatever it is, sit down, watch the world burn, and scoff at it? <laughs> Fools, if they just only knew. You're right. 
They just knew of the glorious grace of God. And so as we sit in our chairs and scoff, we have no one else to blame but ourselves. And what are we doing? We're separating ourselves from this world. When God tells us, go to the city, we separate. It's amazing how Jonah in chapter 2 is saying, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but yet here Jonah is upset that his idol is taken from him. Here God is revealing to Jonah that he cares more about the plant that withers than souls that are eternal. And this is the question that we must ask. Do we care about our things more that will rust and rot and fade or souls that are eternal? So the first way that we need to be on guard and work out our salvation with fear and troubling is asking the question, honestly asking the question, how are we separating ourselves from this world? What distractions are we using to just cause us to numb the pain and get through what's going on in this world? What are we using to say, how can I separate myself while I watch the world burn? So what's distracting you? What idols are in your heart? And the second cuts deeper than the first, I think, is that God clearly tells Jonah, Jonah, they don't know their right hand from their left hand. They're blind. They're bound in sin. They don't know any better. Now here we we must acknowledge, yes, that doesn't negate that the wrath of God is still on them. It doesn't give them a mulligan. But they don't know their left hand from their right hand. Why is God telling Jonah this? Because Jonah's gotten to a place of believing I am morally superior than my neighbor. This is why if we would look at the prodigal son, we could see that the older brother fits the bill pretty well for where Jonah is at. How could you give him a party, Dad? I've been here faithfully doing the work. And yet you give him, your son who spent all of this money that you gave him on things of this world? What Jonah essentially has become It's a Pharisee. What Jonah is essentially saying to God is, I'm morally superior to them. They must perish. I just want to finish with this. Satan's plans... They're not, at least from reading Scripture, from what I can see, Satan's plans aren't to raise up more atheists, more Marxists, more enemies of God. Why? Because an enemy of God is already an enemy of God. He's already got them on their side. (laughs) A, a, A blind person... Leading a blind person 
will always lead them to a lost place because they have no idea where they're going. Here's the enemy's plans. The enemy's plans are to steal, kill, and destroy. Who? The church. And he does that by making them apathetic, cold, harsh, in compassion towards their enemies. He does this by distracting us with things and comforts of this world, telling us, you're so much better than those blind fools who don't know their right hand from their left. You should just sit back and scoff at them. They'll never understand the glorious truths of the gospel because they're just too far gone. So the more you separate yourself and the more you scoff, the easier it will be. All the while, what his real intentions are is to cause our hearts to grow cold and hard towards our enemies. Why is this his plan? This is his plan because he does not want us to look like Christ. And what does a Christian who looks like Christ does? The Christian mimics his Savior. The Savior who came to show compassion for his enemies. Savior who came to be friends of tax collectors and sinners. And so, church, we have two options before us. Separate and believe we're morally superior or repent and compassionately show the love of God through our words and deeds to those we disagree with, we don't look like, we have a hard time being around and then praying like crazy. It's interesting how this book ends, but I think the reason why Jonah finishes the book like this is because there's a little bit of Jonah in all of our hearts, tempted and prone to separate and take the moral high ground or believe that we have the moral high ground while not showing our enemies compassion. And so Jonah finishes this book without a resolution, but a call to examine ourselves. Let's pray. God, you are compassionate. You are slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. You desire... Uh, 
um, for, for all to come to know you. And yet, Father, we, we know that that isn't the case, but we know from what Jonah has shown us is that you still have called us to go. But you've called us to go not with compassionate hearts or compassionless hearts, but with hearts full of compassion towards those who are lost. And so please put it deep inside of us to go, to go and show compassion. Show compassion to a world that does not know their right hand from their left hand, who is blind and bound, to bring the word to them that can deliver them and set them free. This is why you have sent your son. And so, Father, please, Let us leave here this morning with a greater urgency to show and share the compassion that you have shown and shared to us. Amen.